So we've lost a little clip off the microphone. <laughs> but that's fine. Things change. <laughs> I thought tonight I would talk a little bit about um, some qualities of the mind and also of the way we live that are considered very supportive for the development of our spiritual path. So, you know, we're, we're here in some sense because um, we're pursuing matters of the heart, the spirit, things that are important to us that we really value. And it's natural to ask, well, what is, you know, what really helps to nourish the flowering of the path within us, whatever stage of it, whatever type of path we're on, there are some common qualities that we can bring to it that are considered um, very supportive and nourishing and nurturing for uh, the development of our spiritual life. So I thought I'd talk through a few of those. They're actually very intuitive once you start hearing them. There are typically four described. So the first is association with uh, spiritual friends, which includes teachers. So other people who are also walking this same path. And this is natural because, you know, of course, you need the companionship. What we're doing is not easy. It's not easy to develop the heart, to maintain an intention, to live life in an intentional, conscious way. And sometimes it gets easy. Over time, it builds momentum. But there, even for people who have practiced for a while, there are times on the path where it's very challenging. And it's just so supportive to have others around who understand what that's like. So it's important to cultivate spiritual friendships with people that we feel our heart is resonant with, if that makes sense. This is somewhat intuitive. But it's also possible to look for qualities in people that we admire and that we want to associate with. So, for example, um, people who are generous or people who are virtuous people who are wise in some way. They seem unperturbed by the ups and downs of life. These are good people to associate with. And there's a little bit of an art to this in that the, the attitude is not, I'm totally deficient and I need to find people who are so much better than me because, you know, Maybe it will rub off on me a little bit. And that, that kind of attitude is a little bit self-deprecating, isn't considered very helpful. It's more like there would be people in our life who help us to tap into what we already have in our heart, but maybe aren't as connected with as we could be. So people that help us remember our own generosity because they seem to be a very naturally giving person. Something like that. And just tune, attuning ourselves to you know, people that 
that can provide that kind of support. (coughs) And you can imagine, you know, just think intuitively, if you had more people like this in your life, or if you were associating with people like that a greater percentage of the time, wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that feel more supportive for developing your path? And so, you know, the attitude, however, is not, oh, that work colleague, I don't feel that resonant with, forget her, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to talk to her, I'm not going to push her out of my life. That's not really a good attitude either, right? <laughs> so, it's not, it's not so much like that, um, but more, I think it comes about more gently than that, if we just pay attention to where the resonances are, hang out more often with the folks that we connect with, there's kind of a natural way that the right amount of support is provided. Don't forget, of course, that the challenging people are also supportive, just in a different way, right? (laughs) They help us remember our patience, they help us practice our compassion. Everyone has something to offer. But it is considered very important to associate with spiritual friends, including teachers. And then the, the second kind of quality that we can bring into our life, or factor that we can bring into our life, is to hear the teachings that are relevant to us. So, uh, hearing Dharma talks, reading books, um, having conversations with those Dharma friends such that we hear their perspective or we get a chance to hear our own perspective reflected back in what they say. Oh, I heard you say, I feel like you're working with this right now. Just ways that we can start to take in as part of our input. Our input every day includes some Dharma that is uh, meaningful to us. Think about all the input that you take in every day from, you know, the radio listening to in in the car, to what we see on the internet, to reading the news, to uh, talking with people, to hearing the television in the waiting room. A lot is coming in every day. And so the, the meaning of this particular factor is, let's make sure some of that is good food. We take in food every day also, physical food, and hopefully we pay some attention to the quality of that, the balance of it, whether it's nourishing, whether it's nutritious, whether it's providing the right kind of energy for us. What do we do for our mind or our heart every day? So we can, and I'll just appeal to your intuition again, wouldn't that be good to have like that so we make opportunities and sometimes it takes a little effort I know things are busy I know there's all kinds of demands on our time and so what do we do to make sure that we have 20 minutes to hear a podcast or that we have half an hour before we go to sleep to read, read that book or 15 minutes in the morning to listen to something a guided meditation before we go take our shower and start the coffee. So this can take a little bit of conscious effort to make sure that we have a chance to take in things like that. You've already done it for today, you came here. (laughs) 
but um, you know, we, we need to pay attention to that part of our development. And then the, the third of these factors really is related to, they're all related, but it really relates to the second in that it's the development of what's called wise attention. And that was what I pointed to in the guided meditation. How are we paying attention to our experience? You know, are we paying attention with a, an eye that's about to pounce on it? Or with a critical eye, oh, I shouldn't have had that thought come through my mind, or, oh, I'm thinking too much, why is that happening? We're kind of like grudging, all right, now I'm meditating, I'm going to pay attention. These kinds of um, non-connecting attitudes of attention are not really conducive to developing wisdom, they're not really conducive to seeing clearly what's happening in our experience, to providing uh, the nourishment that we need. And this also has to do with how we listen to the Dharma, so how that second factor of hearing that the true Dharma is taken in, to listen in a way that, um, that is, we feel it's something meaningful to us. There are some phrases in the suttas that say, um, listening with eager ears as if one's life depended on it. I think it's beautiful to think about hearing the Dharma that way as something that's really precious. Not many people get to hear the Dharma. Think about what fraction of people in the world hear it. It's not not so high. I don't understand all the conditions that bring it into someone's mind that make that accessible in this lifetime. But some people have that. And if you're one of them, which you are. Do we value that? Do we take it in and listen carefully? This also applies to listening to our own experience very deeply. We do need to take in the Dharma externally because we're not fully wise. We hear it from others. And um, we learn through practice to listen more and more carefully to our own experience. Some people come to practice um, and when they're given instructions about, say, feeling the breath or being mindful of the body, they actually report that they only experience their head (laughs) and everything below the shoulders is kind of not there for them. This can happen and, you know, maybe we're we're sort of encouraged to be that way with our very head-oriented, thinking-oriented achievement-oriented society. And so there can be a process of learning to listen more clearly to our own heart and to our own body to actually get into the body, lowering ourselves down into the full experience of being this human. It's quite an amazing process and it goes deeper and deeper. And again, you can imagine, yes, actually, if I were able to do that a little bit more fully, a little bit more deeply, wouldn't that be good for my practice to have that stronger connection? Some of it is capacity building, of course. We don't start out with the ability to be with all of our experience. I know it's not easy to sit always with what's happening 
we have strong emotions, if we have pain in the body, I don't want to be with that. But the practice keeps telling us, turn back toward that, be with that, hold that in awareness. And so there's some, this is part of the practice, is to develop that capacity. I recently watched a video given by a a long-time teacher in that tradition who has recently developed um, multiple myeloma. So he has cancer, and he is making um, his journey through it a kind of a teaching for his community. He's made a couple of videos uh, where he talks about the Dharma of going through this experience. And this particular one was powerful because he had um, he had tried the first round of chemotherapy and didn't respond well to it. Um, you know, they, they didn't know what drugs were going to be best for him. They made a guess. They made a guess at the dosage. They tried it. And his body completely rejected the drugs and he had kidney failure. And had, luckily they got him into the hospital in time and flushed his system quite aggressively. Um, and he lived. But there were moments where it wasn't clear and he, he has such a strong practice. He's over a 40-year practitioner. He had cultivated very, very strong attention, and he was using that during, his, during this time of his body really being way out of whack. And he said that um, it was just incredible to watch the life force you know, struggling to live. That's what the body does. Um, we don't really get a choice about that. And, but his attention was kind of um, able to hold even um, a body that was uh, like a fish out of water flipping on the rocks. And that's what his body was like. And he could hold that in his attention. And he said that, um, that for the most part there was no suffering, even though it was a horrible experience. I'm sure his body was not at all comfortable going through that but that there was something in the attention that allowed him not to experience any suffering. So that, that's capacity of attention and something that we move toward. How do you do it? Just like the instructions say, when your mind wanders, you bring it back to the present moment. When you find yourself thinking, you say thinking, bring it back to the present moment, developing that capacity to stay with the flow of experience and not get sucked into it piece by piece. The bucket fills, drop by drop, the bucket fills. So um, don't worry about losing it. You know, if you are gone for 10 minutes, no problem. As soon as you're back, you're adding more, buck- more drops to your bucket. So after 40 years, I guess there's a lot of drops in there. So developing wise attention, really helpful for reducing suffering. And then the the fourth of these factors that support our path is usually listed as practicing in accordance with the Dharma. And this is related to the other three. You know, once you've listened and are attuned to what's going on, there's a need to actually sort of do that and uh, follow the teachings. So practicing in accordance with the Dharma is uh, following the instructions that are given in the suttas, that say, you know, this is what you do when you sit down. So we try to do that as well as we can. Of course, we're not perfect. 
that's fine, don't have to be perfect, just do it as well as you can. And then there's also checking in with the teacher, for example. Oh, this is happening in my practice, and how do I handle that, or what might be a good suggestion for this? Um, there's, there's reading the book and taking it in, and then there's bringing it into our life. There's paying attention, and then there's acting in accordance with what we understand from that. And you can see that this makes a complete loop, because the fourth one, about practicing in accordance with the Dharma, is helpful to have what? Spiritual friends. So other people on the path, friends that you have coffee with and talk about your practice, or a teacher that you work with. So they're all of a piece. As a review, they are having spiritual friends, hearing the Dharma, listening deeply with wise attention, and practicing in accordance with the Dharma. And if we're doing these things, it's absolutely inevitable that the path will unfold. You don't have to worry. And just doing these things to the best of our ability is enough. We always have enough to take the next step. We don't have to worry that we don't have enough to be fully enlightened at this moment, or that we don't even have enough to not snap at our boss or something. Well, did that again. We always have enough to take the next step. Uh, and then from there, whatever's needed for the next step will appear. That's how it works. And these four factors are really supportive. If we just put the energy into creating the conditions, the path will unfold. That's how it, that's how it goes. It's really, the burden is really not on us to do it personally. It's more like we're creating the conditions and then the plant grows on its own. So I hope these are things that you can connect with and feel like, oh yeah, I've got that one going. Hey, pretty good. And in this other area, hey, I got a new idea for how I could have more of that one. And just slowly but surely creating the supports so that the path continues to unfold. The heart grows in beauty and strength and awareness. So I'll stop there and, and ask if you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share about this topic. <coughs> yeah. Well, I recently went to a retreat and I was talking to my teacher at the retreat about somebody that I didn't like at all. About what? About somebody in another group. Oh, another person that you didn't like so well. Okay. She goes, watch out, you're other name. <laughs> oh, yes. It's I like just the thought really clever, which is just a, a sort of um, an extension of selfie. That's a good way to say it. doesn't like it. You know, it's the ego self that's me, 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 and I don't like it. That, that, that. 
It's a nice term. Yeah, that's right. If we're gonna if we're gonna self as a verb to self, <laughs> by extension we have to create others who are not not us, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And some people um, need to work more on one than the other. You know, they spend a lot of time creating the ego self, me, me, me. And some people spend a lot of time creating them, them, them. <laughs> and if they're not, if that's not seen as the same activity, then uh, then we're missing. We're missing that. Thank you for sharing that. your guided meditation when we first started that was so helpful I'm getting really getting me here because mm-hmm. I've had a lot my head's kind of spinning and it brought up a question um, for me if if we're really trying to be here and be present and pay attention to our breath how do you work out problems or work out or have insights when you're trying not to think about all those things that are kind of occupying your brain, you're just trying to be here. When do you arrive at yeah. solutions, or when do you? How do you work those things out when you're trying to quiet all that? Yeah. Does that um, make sense? It's it's a great question because we we tend to believe um, that we can work things out by thinking them through. Because we can, in some cases, you know, if you need, to, if you're having a dinner party for five people tomorrow night, you can think through what I need to buy at the grocery store and what time I need to start cooking in order to get all that on the table at the right time and things like that. So for for issues like that, yes, we can work through them. And then there, are, you know, there are other issues like this relationship or this situation with my housing or something like that. Um, and that to a degree we can work through these things but you can understand that there get to be wider spheres that we have less control over, right? You know, my next job, well, somebody has to hire me, right? It's not up to me. And then bigger things like how's my spiritual path going to unfold? We haven't, you know, that's that's not something we can think through. So there's a, a developing trust through practice that there are other ways of knowing Besides the rational mind that can be trusted, but are a little bit shy, and they they're shy in the in they get crowded out by the thinking mind, and so the the effort to quiet that a little bit through meditation or whatever is working for us can actually allow deeper and other forms of knowing to come through. Um, and it's hard to say it, but you know, it's hard to not influence our minds. But unfortunately, sitting there and expecting them, like, okay, I've quieted my mind. Now, where's that solution? That's still something that scares it away. So it really does. You know, it's, it's like the phenomenon where if you're trying to remember, like, you try to remember a word and it's just gone from your mind. And you, you just say, all right, forget it. I can't remember it. And then like an hour later, you're riding your bike and you go, oh, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a, a mechanism that um, operates kind of in the spiritual way too. I don't think, I don't know if that's exactly the same mechanism. 
But if we just let go and allow the mind to kind of settle and tune back into how we're feeling, what's really important to us, there's a way that these things can work out. Not always the way we want to, want them to, but uh, they will work out. Yeah. And seeing other hands, I actually saw your hand. Um, Well, just to add on that, um, I read a really cool article about like a reflective memory that Steve Jobs talked about, and basically, when you know you practice, you know, this type of practice, and uh, basically when you're worked up and whatnot, your brain is kind of zoned into like imagine it like a library into like one book and one page. You're you're you're, you're like wrapped around this one guy. How do I fix this? How do I fix this? And to relax yourself, it, it takes you, steps you back, and you can like kind of look at the whole library. And so it's, it's, it's more reflective. You're able to pull solutions from different books, from different sections of the library. And uh, that's why when you're most relaxed is when you get the most clarity, like when you're going to bed or when you're in the shower or remembering the word on the bike. Like, mm-hmm. relax. I don't know if that helps, but I just read that. Well, I just had some thoughts on that, too, from my own experience. I mean, when I started practice, I was in a situation where there was a lot of, um, you know, anxiety and fear, and my brain basically didn't work at all making any decisions, I think. And I, I realized, I mean, I think I was in work. Also at work, I think I was probably half as efficient, and, and the more equanimous I feel, the, the more I have a way of dealing with anxiety or fear. My mind works completely different, I feel. I mean, so I, mean, I think that's another reason mm-hmm. to deal with the emotions, um, with the, you know, unwholesome emotions or whatever one wants to call it. Yeah. I think you have actually give your mind some space. It doesn't need to be as active as it wants to be, I mm-hmm. think. It's actually more efficient. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.